You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Well, I just want to say I am excited. Okay? There's a couple of reasons I'm excited. Um, I get to preach today. That's one good reason why I'm excited. Another good reason is I hear it's supposed to snow Tuesday. Amen. <laughs> Joe and I are like buddies. I know. Some of you are not fans. That's fine. That's our world. We love it. Okay? I'm also excited because of this. The most valuable like, weekend for our teens, our youth group, most exciting time we have, snow camp, is next weekend. I'm really excited for that. We are taking 29 of our teenagers and six leaders and a bus for 52 hours of nonstop fun. It's going to be a great time. And so I bring that up uh, in part because I really covet your prayers. Um, it is a fun time. There are a lot of events and activities, snow tubing, the cardboard sled race, which has apparently been going on for like 50 years. I didn't realize that. And it's just keep that tradition going. And, but pray for safety for our students. Pray for good travel you know, up and back. Pray that nobody gets sick. We somehow still haven't been able to do that. <laughs> so pray that everyone has a good time. But also I want to pray there's a lot of spiritual stuff that happens at snow camp. God's word is opened and we discuss how it is applied to our lives, to teenagers' lives. And the gospel is shared, so I would ask that you guys would join us in praying. Friday night, there's going to be a gospel presentation where they are going to be given the opportunity to decide what to do with Jesus. And I pray that out of the 300 students that are up there, that many would come to know Christ. So I want you to just join with us in praying about that as well. But part of packing and getting ready for snow camp, I have to, on Wednesday night, still go through the packing list. I print out a nice packing list, but I have to go over some of these details, right? Because you know packing with kids and with teenagers, what happens, right? Kids' version of packing for a snow camp event, it's typically this. First thing on the list, three pounds of Sour Patch Kids. Check. <laughs> right? They do the socks, the shoes, the sandals, the snow pants, the sweatpants, you know, stuff like that, stand, uh, you know, snow boots, stuff like that. Sleeping bag also somehow gets missed. So like, eh, we want to make sure we have the right priorities when we're packing. But sometimes I think it's true of all of us as well. Sometimes we unintentionally prioritize good things, and we can sometimes miss the most important thing that we're supposed to prioritize or that we're supposed to bring, we're supposed to do. Well, today I'd invite you to go to your Bible, and if you don't have your Bible with you, you can use our pew Bible there in front of you. It's going to be page 837. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1, picking up in verse 35. But today we will see a very unique entry, in my estimation, a very unique entry in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus and his priorities, King Jesus and his priorities. See, Jesus, up to this point, he has started his earthly ministry. He has called a few disciples to follow him. He has started preaching and teaching with authority. And everywhere he goes, he's leaving a trail of, of happy, healthy, demon-possessed, free people. It's awesome. And this is kind of where we're picking up. But before we get into this, let us pray and ask God's blessing over the reading, the studying, and applying of God's word. God, as we come before you, and as we open your word, and as we read what it has recorded for us, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit 
Lord, teach us through your word. Lord, that it would convict us and bring us closer to your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to walk anew, afresh in our relationship with you here today. And I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so I thought to get a better understanding of the context, we would just jump back to verse 32 and 33. And it's going to be up on the screen just to help us understand. And it said, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And look at this. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Jesus had a lot of people calling his name. Jesus had a lot of people knocking on his door. Jesus was doing ministry all day and all night. That's what we're seeing here. And now let's go to our verse today, verse 35. Okay, we're just going to stop there. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I got this verse and got this sermon, and I was like, oh, man, it's so convicting. Because here Jesus, doing ministry all day, all night. Me on a Wednesday night, me waking up Thursday morning. I didn't cast out any demons at youth group. I didn't heal anybody. I just taught. I'm exhausted Thursday morning. And here Jesus, he gets up in the morning very early, and he goes out to pray. He said, well, Mark could have just said, he would, in the morning Jesus was praying. But instead, he paints this beautiful picture with very detailed words like brushstrokes. And he says, very early. Just so you, did, you got the, the premise of how early, it was still dark, right? Not only that, he picked a desolate, quiet place to be alone. Even after Jesus had done ministry all hours of the night, he still woke up early and went out to pray. And so here we see that Jesus prioritized praying with his heavenly Father. Jesus prioritized praying in three different ways we're going to look at this morning. He prayed, his prayer was... First of all, intentional. His prayer was intentional. We already said it. Rising very early while it was still dark. I don't know about you guys, but that doesn't happen naturally for me. Happens for my two-year-old son who got me up at 5 a.m. this morning. Don't know how that happens naturally for him, but this happens naturally. Doesn't happen naturally for most of us. Think about the things the priorities that get us out of bed in the morning. Coffee, <laughs> right? Breakfast, you know, tea, whatever. Um, but think about our priorities that get us out of bed in the morning. Typically, they have to do with our roles and our responsibilities or our routines. For many of us, we hold jobs. We have to get up in the morning. We have to go to our job. We have to do this certain job so we don't get fired, so we can get paid, right? We understand the premise of it, right, behind it. It's our role or our responsibility. Maybe as a parent, get up, feed yourself, get coffee around, get going. But you also have to take care of these little kids that have somehow lost their shoes all over the house. You have to get them around and not lose your mind. Anybody else out there lose your mind every morning? Nobody? Oh, one person's back. Thank you. <laughs> Just us, apparently. Or you have your personal plan for the day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go here. I'm going to buy this. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to break that. I'm going to you know, do this or that. We fill our, our day with stuff. And not all these things are bad. Feeding your kids in the morning is important. Doing a lot of the things that we do every morning first thing is important. Fixing your face. Brushing your teeth. 
All those things are very important. I'm not saying remove those things from your agenda for the day. But rather, we see that Jesus does something different. He prioritizes something different. He prioritizes his relationship with his heavenly father. Quickly, I want to jump to another instant where Jesus prioritized and he was intentional about prayer. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, Jesus had just heard that his his cousin, John the Baptist, had, had been killed. He just heard this bad news. And this is what it says. He said, he withdrew himself from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, it doesn't say his intentions. It doesn't say any of that. What's he, what is he going to do? But did you see the word desolate in there? Same word that was in this verse in Mark. He's going to go pray. He just heard a bunch of bad news. He's going to go pray. He intentioned in his heart to go pray. But Jesus' location somehow got leaked, Peter. <clears throat> And 5,000 people show up at his praying spot. These 5,000 people, this is what he says. He doesn't get upset. He says he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then after teaching them and feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, this is what it says 10 verses later in verse 23. It says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to what? Pray. Not to vent about his day, to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Prayer was intentional. And I think this is good and key for us. It doesn't just happen. Prayer doesn't just happen. It has to be done on purpose. And so I want to ask you a question. And ask yourself this question is this. What is one way that I can be intentional with my prayer time? Think about it. In what way can you be intentional with your prayer time. Think about it. If you're taking notes, which I always encourage like our students and and people to do, take notes, write it down. If you get an idea that pops in your head, oh, this is how I can be intentional. Write it down. Also, great conversation for the lunch table today. There you go. That's your homework. All right? And then who's going to win the Super Bowl? You can figure that out. But start with the prayer one first. Um, Jesus prioritized prayer, and he was intentional about praying. And we can do the same. But he goes on. Let's go back to Mark. Jesus' prayer was intentional and his prayer was isolated. It says in verse 35 that he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Dana and I, um, 13 years ago, started started dating. And uh, we're still dating. Married too. But 13 years ago. And I remember like I started the relationship and I was like, yay, we're living in the same town. We get to you know, be dating and be close to each other. And then my job, like, dried up. And I lost my job because of the economy and stuff. And I had to move back home, get a new job. I ended up going to school, also long distance. So for the next two years until we got married, we were, we were dating long distance, which is, like, the one thing I didn't want to do. But you know what? It, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about communication. It taught me a lot about my relationship with my, my wife And there's a couple things that I learned in my long-distance relationship with Dana. One, the college dorm is not an ideal place for conversation. You always have guys coming in and out, yelling, hooting, hollering, and everything, and it's it's kind of noisy. Two, video calls, okay? They're great. You get to see each other's faces, but it's really lame when one of you gets distracted by something else. It kind of, like, defeats the whole purpose, right? Hi, how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, tell me that again. You know what I mean? 
it gets really lame. When you get distracted by homework or you know, a text that comes in or something else, and you're not able to give them the undivided attention. But I learned that the best time to communicate with Dana and to have that conversation was being alone, on the phone, walking around. Typically, like we were walking together. It was just on the phone together. So typically that was outside or in the woods or walking around the campus, stuff like that. See, in our relationship with God, it's, it's our responsibility to remove those distractions. Remove those distractions that disconnect us from God. Jesus prayed this way intentionally. He isolated himself. He also taught this way. He taught his disciples to pray this way. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, he says, But when you pray, go into your room, the desolate place, <laughs> and shut the door. Shut the door. And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. This is interesting. This is amazing, right? Because we typically think we have to pray or else bad things will happen to us. But rather, Jesus says, no. There are positive incentives here. There is a reward for seeking the Lord. There is blessings that are offered to us when we take this seriously. See, God sees our heart, and he rewards those who set aside the distractions to focus on him. See, Jesus prioritized praying intentionally and in isolation, and for good reason, because he wanted to have his prayer to be intimate with God. Prayer with Jesus was intimate. And I see this in verse 36. It's kind of implied, not stated directly, but it says this. Simon and those who were with him searched for him. You know what this says? Jesus' prayer time with God the Father went long. He got up super early, prayed, and by this time the disciples are awake, and they can't find him. And they have to go searching for him. And part of my mind goes, what is Jesus praying about? What is he so intimate in his relationship with God that he has to get up so early to talk to God about? We don't know. It's not stated there. Mark doesn't share what, what Jesus was praying for. But if we comb through scripture, these are just a couple verses that we see. The context of Jesus' prayer, what he taught his disciples, and what he did himself. In Matthew 9, 37, 38, it says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You see what he's doing here? He's teaching his disciples to pray for the lost, to love them so much that you would earnestly take their need to get saved to the Father, that God would send more people out to them to get saved. That's what he prayed for. In John 17, verse 17 through 18, he said, Sanctify them, being his disciples and followers. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So here we see that Jesus' desire and his joy was to talk to God the Father about you, about his followers, about those who would be sent out to share the good news of Jesus. So we have that same wonderful privilege to go before our Heavenly Father, to pray, to be heard, and to enjoy that time with our Heavenly Father. In Daniel Henderson's book, Transforming Prayer, which, by the way, if this sermon catches your attention and you're like, yes, I need to learn how to pray more. I need to learn how to pray 
better. Transforming Prayer is a great one to go to, so I encourage you to read that, pick that book up. It's an exciting book on prayer. It's not boring at all, okay? But as you read that, this quote came out, and it jumped out at me. It says, prayer is not so much an issue of fine-tuning the regimes, but of enjoying the relationship. See, sometimes we look at prayer as just this discipline that we have to do and, and do all these things right, amen, but it's about a relationship that we have with God, a conversation that he has with us and we have with him about real-life li real issues. Jesus knew this intimate prayer is not only enjoyable, but it's also powerful. Jesus also prayed for Peter, specifically by name. And this is what he said in Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I look at this verse and go, wow. Satan demanded that he would have an opportunity to sift Peter. Put that in our day and age, Satan's basically asking, hey, can I put Peter in my ninja blender and press puree? See what he's made of. But Jesus says, no. He prays. He knows there's power in prayer, and he prays that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. Satan fears prayer. Satan knows that if God's children all join together in prayer, he's toast. His reign is done. Church, in the last six months, we have had several key, I'm going to call them prayer warriors, pass away. Pass on to be in the presence of the Lord. And I've watched this happen and going, oh no. We're seeing more and more of people that I have had contact with that have committed to praying for me, for the church, for the church's family, for the ministry, no longer here. And I ask this question, so... What will happen if no one rises to take their place? What will happen to us if we don't, if we don't pray for one another like they did? What will, what will happen if we don't train our children how to pray and lean and depend on the Lord? What will happen to us? That doesn't have to end. Because we have that opportunity to pick up where they left off, to pick up their lead to pray for one another, to be prayer warriors for this church, for God's ministry here, to pray that the gospel would save lives, to pray that unity would thrive in this building and amongst us, and to pray that God would win, that our faith wouldn't fail. And I invite you to take that up with me. But also I know this, we are a praying church, not just from the front. Just this past week, I had somebody approach me and said, our, our men's group in the morning prayed for you. And that, that was huge, huge for me to hear that and be encouraged by. And I know every Sunday morning before the service starts, there's a group that prays in my office for this service specifically that God would receive the glory, that Satan would stay far away. We are a praying church. I, I, I want more of that for us. There is a reward that just cannot be comprehended, that is for those who pray. So with that, 
finally, Jesus' priority to pray influenced him to prioritize something else. Let's get to the rest of the passage. We've harbored on one verse. Let's look at verses 36 through 39. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Here we see that Jesus prioritized preaching about his heavenly father. He prioritized praying to his heavenly father and preaching about his heavenly father. But I just want to imagine for a moment, can you imagine being Peter and the disciples at that time? You wake up in the morning, uh, where's Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? No. Where'd he go? Was I snoring too loud? Like, what's going on? And they start looking for Jesus. And then people start showing up, getting ready for today's sermon. Where's Jesus? Actually, we don't know. Aren't you followers of Jesus? You had like one job. <laughs> you lost him. So then they, the followers of Jesus have to go finding Jesus. When they find him, you can see where their priorities are. It's very clear. It just says this. Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Let's go. See, the disciples were pulled by people. The disciples were pulled by the influence of people. They had in their own minds what Jesus, the king, should be doing. He should be going out and doing more miracles. He should be building his name, his popularity, and be creating a following. But what we see in the heart of Jesus as we come to know him through the scriptures is that he didn't come to charm the masses. He didn't come to, to go viral, okay? Jesus was pulled by a greater purpose. Jesus was pulled by his purpose. And he says in verse 30, let us go to the next town, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. Jesus shares, I think, a very powerful point for all of us today. If we're struggling with our purpose and we're struggling with decision-making, prayer keeps us on point in God's perfect plan. Because Jesus had prioritized prayer, he knew who he was. He knew why he came knew he was there to do and what he was called to do. He knew he was called to preach the gospel. And these people that were coming knocking on his door early in the morning, they had already heard it. They wanted more, which is great. But there were other people that didn't know. And that is why he was called out. And so because of that, it just fed his purpose. It gave him a platform to preach on. It gave him a reason to get up in the morning. Because Jesus was on point with God's perfect plan, he followed his Father's will. This is something that he taught his disciples and he would do himself. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says, Pray then like this, the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Whose kingdom come? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, Jesus and his prayers were all fueled by the, the will of the Father, the will of God. 
even when life was at its hardest for Jesus and when he was looking to the cross and the cross was the next thing in his agenda of God's will, this is what he prayed. In Mark 14, verse 36, he said this, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Even in that moment, he is calling on God to do his will, to do the Father's will. When Jesus prayed with the Father's will in mind, it kept him on point. And because of that, you and I have salvation. Jesus went to the cross and died for our sins so that we could have that perfect relationship with God restored. I ask this question, what things in your life have been pulling on you, has been pulling your heart? Is it relationships? Is it money? Is it comfort? Is it your dreams? Is it your desires? Maybe politics, opinions, or people. I kind of visually think of it this way. Imagine if I had rope tied to all of my arms and legs, and then I tried to walk from here to there, but the rope was also attached to somebody who was pulling on me. You know, I'm trying to walk like this way, and it's like, oh, man, I'm being pulled all around. You look insane. We look insane when we're being pulled by all of these different things. But instead, if I am grounded in prayer, and I'm seeking one will, and it's not the will of the people, it's not the will of of, of others, it's not even my own dreams or, or desires, it's, it's God's will. Then I can follow God's will and fulfill it. You might ask this question, this is a big question, what is God's will? What is God's will for my life? I remember being a young boy looking in the book of Daniel, because my name's Daniel, so I'm going to look for God's will for my life in the book of Daniel. It didn't work. There were a lot of good things in Daniel. I love that book, but there is one verse that goes to that specifically says what our will is. I love this ver- these verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, for you and for me. I love it. Spelled out, spark notes, super short, sweet. But this is what it's saying. You have the opportunity to rejoice always in the will of God. You have the opportunity to be thankful in any circumstance in the will of God. How? Because we're being pulled along in prayer constantly in the Father's will. That is how we can have rejoice always and thankful in every circumstance. Because God has a will for you, and it is good. I don't know about you, but I just want more of that. I want more of that for me. I want more of that for us as a church. But now what? How do we apply all of this, praying first and all this stuff? Well, the first thing I want to encourage you in is, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? See, when Jesus was here, he preached that we have a problem. Sin. Sin is anything that we do, say, or think that separates us from God. We can't try and not do it. We all do it. 
and that sin separates us from God, if not dealt with, if not paid for, we end up dying and going to a place called hell, separated from God for eternity. And this is what Romans says. He says in, in chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us, for me, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still covered in our sin, that sin that separates us, yes, King Jesus died so that you and I could have that perfect relationship with him. And how we, do we receive this? We can know that Jesus died on the cross, but what does that do for us? Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. If you would like that relationship with Jesus, if you've never done that, this is, this is how you do so. One, you admit. You admit that you're a sinner. Yeah, I'm not perfect. I'm not God. I've messed up. And because of that, I'm deserving of hell. B, you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that on the third day he rose from the dead. And then call on the name of the Lord. Ask him to forgive you of that sin, of those sins. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. Guess what? He won't say no. In John it says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what children of God have? They have the ear of their father. My kids, when they call out to me, especially in that tone that says, help, guess where I am? I'm right there. The relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father is even greater than my relationship with my kids. It's just a small picture. If you already have a relationship with Jesus, here's what our challenge is. How do we, how do we get pulled in, in prayer? How do, we, how do we grow? How do we prioritize prayer like Jesus? And here are just a few steps for us. First one, I just want to quickly share. A lot of times when we see these passages that say Jesus got up super early, he's always praying, we get discouraged and we give up. Don't give up. Level up, okay? Don't give up. Level up. Take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. Don't look to the end where, where perfection is, okay? Because we're not called to be perfect. We're called to be persistent, continually growing in our relationship with God. So with that, let's pray intentionally. One of the things that is part of our core values here at Grace Bible Church is we pray first before action. And this isn't just, hey, where should we go to eat for lunch today kind of praying first before action. This is, God, what do I do? How do I handle this relationship I have with a, with a guy at my work that cursed me out yesterday? What, how should I act? What should I do? Should I take this job? Should I date this person? All those things should be a part of our pray first before action. Daniel Henderson also says this. He says, prayer is our first resolve, not our last resort. A lot of times we're guilty of just going, oh, I'll just pray later. Or I'll pray if nothing else works. Nothing else works because you didn't pray first. So let's start with that. The other thing we can do is we can pray for wisdom. James said it right in the first chapter of his book. He said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously, without reproach. He just wants to shovel wisdom upon us if we would humble ourselves and ask for it. 
if we would seek for it. Pray at a specific time, even set an alarm. Right now I have an alarm set for 2.16 p.m., very specific. And that alarm is to remind me on February the 16th, there's going to be a gospel conversation up at snow camp. And I'm praying that whoever's there that's not saved will get saved. So set an alarm. If there's something special going on in your life that you need prayer for, set it for that date. And you can pick a.m. or p.m. <laughs> it's fun. I'm not waking up. I, I should wake up at 2.16 a.m. But anyway, moving along, pray in isolation. And I just want to say this, and I might get some pushback, maybe some booing, but pray without your phone. Okay? Because all it takes is that phone to go off once. Ching! And you know there's studies out there that have said that when you hear that ching, or you feel that vibrate, there are chemicals that get released in your mind, and it's basically like a drug. And you kind of can't avoid it at that point. You kind of got to go for the phone. Isn't that insane? What we have trained our minds to do? Take the phone away. For that time in isolation, you will be rewarded according to what Scripture says. Take the next level. Go and create a prayer room, a private place dedicated to praying, this desolate place. And really, there's, there's a movie out there called War Room, if you want emphasis on what that looks like. But it's really awesome to have this time and place that's dedicated just to you and your prayers. Time with God. It's really awesome. The next thing is, don't publicize what you're praying for. Going back to Matthew chapter 6, 6 where it says, you know, what you pray in secret, secret, like, let that be secret. Let only you and your Heavenly Father to know so that he can reward you. Pray with intimacy. Pray the Lord's Prayer back to him. Or one of the Psalms, like what you have seen us do here. Make it your own words. Make it your own words. Make it your own conversation that you have with your Heavenly Father. Make it intimate. Pray for the needs of others without gossip. We've all done it, all gotten into that habit of, oh, did you hear about this? Can you pray for them? Don't do that. That, that. that removes the intimacy of prayer. Pray for what only God can do. God is the only one who can save souls. God is the only one who can send servants out to save more souls. God is the only one who can sanctify us. So, it's good that we pray for people's physical hurt and physical pain and what they're going through right now. We need to do those things. But can we add to that list things that only God can do? Not only what doctors and modern medicine can do, but what only God can do. Sometimes we limit God because we limit our prayers. God wants to do so much more. And lastly, one thing is prayer keeps us on point in God's perfect plan. So I encourage you, don't be satisfied in the rut of just good things, the routine, and miss out on God's best. Let's all prioritize prayer and watch what happens. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your example. Lord, you prayed first and gave us the perfect example of how to prioritize our lives prioritize our prayers, and God, we pray that through prayer, through all of us intentionally 
and intimately before you, Lord, we would see just awesome things take place that only you can do. And God, we would just shout those things back to you and praise to you. Lord, I pray that we would follow your will each and every day. Today, tomorrow, and forever, may we follow your will. I pray all this over our church and our family. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.